are resolved in your Christian faith, welcome to the church at Sturkey Hills again. We're so glad you're here. We're going to have a good day today. We're in Acts chapter 9. You can open your Bible or your device. That's what we're going to be looking at. Now, last week we were encouraged as we saw the transformation of an individual, one of the greatest men who ever walked on the planet, uh, just second probably to Jesus Christ himself. His name was Saul of Tarsus, but he met Jesus and his life was forever changed. Uh, This guy would go on to write 13 of the 27 New Testament uh, books in the Bible. He's an incredible Bible character. He's an incredible man of God. And and it all happened when he met Jesus. And so uh, his name would be changed from Saul of Tarsus to the Apostle Paul. And he's an incredible guy. That's what we're going to learn about. So the beauty of God's Word is it shares the good, the bad, and the ugly. It doesn't just paint all, everything as butterflies and roses. And, And so we see the life of this man before he met Jesus. We see the life of this man post-meeting Jesus, and we can learn and we can glean from his encounter. You see, what, what happened in the life of Saul is not just unique to him. It's what Jesus Christ does in the life of every human being if we simply receive it and allow it. Now, when we looked at last week's message, the title was called The Making of a testimony, that God wants to make a testimony out of your life. He wants you to be a witness about the greatness of who he is and what he's done in your life. And so we saw last week some of the components of the making, God's making of a testimony in your life. It all begins in a, in a pre-Jesus state that we're not born Christian, we're not born saved, we're born condemned, lost, and depraved, and that's how we all begin. It's, we, we all start on an even or level playing field. And number two, we saw an encounter with Jesus. He was blinded by the light. We have to have an encounter with Jesus Christ or we are not saved. We cannot be saved by any other means other than a personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. And thirdly, we saw that it's better because of other believers. Every life is influenced by other believers. Most people's testimony will include somebody in their life who took them to church, who, who shared the gospel with them, who was an influence in them uh, in, in making a decision to follow Jesus. And so other people are typically included in your testimony. Fourthly, we saw that when we meet Jesus, things change and we become a new creature. And so if you're a Christian, your life, your testimony should include how your life is different now than it was before you met Jesus. And so it should include a change. And then we saw that that our support system includes other people's other people. That's why we have church. That's why we have small groups. We're encouraged and we're developed and we're nurtured and we're encouraged by other people who are of like mind and like spirit, like faith. And then lastly, all of that leads to boldly testifying that if you're a Christian, the reason the series in Acts is called Can I Get a Witness is because God's desire for you is that you share your faith with other people. He saved you so you could help other people be saved. In a nutshell, that's why we're here. And so often we let days and weeks and months and years go by, and we don't tell anybody about Jesus. We live, we live this stealth mode, covert Christian life, and people may say, well, I think they're a pretty good person, but we never just come out of the closet and talk about who we really are. And quite honestly, we need to get out of the closet. We got people coming out of the closet for everything. Somebody was sharing the other day that the school system was, uh, there was a, a group of people trying to mandate that the school system provide litter boxes for children in high school who want to identify as a cat. If I was the, if I was the administrator in that school, it would be a simple solution. At my house, the cat went to the bathroom in the yard. And so your little girl can go out in the weeds. Amen. 
And so we live in a world where everybody's coming out for what they are. And the church needs to wake up. The church needs to become bold. The church needs to push forward. The church needs to be on the offensive and not the defensive. So how do we do that? The making of a testimony. We have to have a testimony. Now, we said last week that God wants to impact the world. That, that God wants to impact three different worlds with your life. He wants to impact the world of hell by depleting its um, occupants and rescuing them from being bound to sin. God wants to impact the world called heaven because when someone gets saved, the angels rejoice and, and, the, and the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the dimensions of heaven, the complexion of heaven changes as, as, as every time one person gets saved. And in the meanwhile, God wants you to impact the world that we live in called the earth. He wants you to help other people walk in light and walk in truth, no longer in darkness. And, and therefore, the world has changed, this world, this earth. He wants us to change the world. So when we look at Paul's life, we, we can say, okay, I've, maybe I've had that experience kind of like Paul. Those, those components of a testimony I have in my life. So what's next? What we have here when we read about Saul of Tarsus is we have what we would call in church terms a new convert, a new Christian, someone who's just been born again, somebody who just got saved. But the question is, what now? What's next for Saul of Tarsus? The same thing that's what's next for each and every one of us. You see, being saved is critically important. It changes your eternal destiny. But what you do and how you live between the moment you're saved and the moment you enter into heaven is critically important also. Because God didn't save you to put you on the bench. God didn't save you to be a spectator in this world. God saved you to deploy you, to develop you and deploy you in his kingdom agenda. It's, 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 it's amazing that the God of the universe would choose to use people like us, and I'm speaking to me, that God would use us in something greater than anything else this world has ever seen. And so sometimes the church gets a bad rap. Sometimes the church says, well, that church is good about making Christians, but it's not very good about making disciples. I want you to understand something. Your level of discipleship and your level of development is not 100% the responsibility of the church and other people. When you chose to be a Christian, when you received the good gospel of Jesus Christ in your life and God sealed you with the Holy Spirit, you accepted a responsibility that comes with that title. You weren't saved just to get a ticket punched to go to heaven. You accepted a responsibility by the name itself, I am a Christian, means I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you are a disciple, it's very simple, it means that you volitionally uh, choose to follow the teachings and the life and the precepts of Jesus Christ. It's on you. Now, we're supposed to help you. I'm supposed to challenge you. Your small group leaders are supposed to encourage you. Other Christian brothers and sisters are supposed to come alongside you and help you. But the responsibility when we stand before King Jesus lands on us. So I want you to say this. It's on me. It's on you. It's on me, it's on, it's on us. We, we have to own this thing ourselves. And so God's desire is that we just act more like Jesus, talk more like Jesus, um, do more things that Jesus would every day of our life. It's that simple. And so often we get stuck in our baby Christianity. Now, now let's unpack this a little bit. So you were all born. Every single person in here was born. You weren't hatched. You weren't created in a test tube. You were born. And it was ugly, okay, for all of us. 
all of us, it was ugly. It's tough, okay? But we made it, all right? We're here. Now, Jesus said, uh, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So you have to have a spiritual birth. Now, when you were physically born, you were born as a baby. You, you, you didn't come into this world with the ability to talk and the ability to walk. You, you couldn't ride a bicycle. You couldn't drive a car. You were a baby, okay? You had to grow into that. And, and in our Christian life, when we're born again, there's things that, that we should start doing initially. But we have to grow into all that God has for our life. Now, the, the problem is we accept this physically, but we don't accept it spiritually. You see, there's people who have been born again maybe for 20 years, but they're still, they're still a baby. They, they've never matured. They've, they've, they've never really grown up. And so babies are, in the physical sense, are beautiful. I, you can have a little baby sitting in his high chair, and, and he or she sp uh, smears spaghetti on their face and sticks cheese up their nose. And, man, we just laugh, and it's cute. But if, if they're in the 10th grade doing that, it ain't cute anymore. I mean, I've got about an 18-month-old grandson named Macon, and he'll come right in the middle of our living room floor, right in the middle of playtime, man, and he'll get real still. His eyes will get real big. He'll make a face, and then he'll say, poop. Well, that's cute if you're 18 months old, but if his daddy Clark ever does that in my living room, he ain't coming back. There's some things that work for a baby, and they don't work for an adult. Amen? And it's the same in our spiritual walk. We are born a baby Christian, and what we do as baby Christians sometimes is okay, maybe even kind of funny. But as we grow and mature, those things are supposed to go away. And, and so... I just want you to know today that as amazing as a baby is, growing up is so much better. And so, and it, and it doesn't happen easily. Maturity in the physical sense is, is tough. It, it can be difficult. Think about it this way. You, you have a seventh grade boy and he has his first day in middle school and maybe sixth grade. But he goes in middle school and over the summer, man, these girls have become, become young women. I mean, they've changed in a good way. Meanwhile, the seventh grade boy is still has the same voice he had in the second grade, you know? And, and, and he's left behind and it's awkward. And if, and if that's not awkward enough, you got the one kid in the seventh grade that either they lied on his birth certificate or he ate way too much processed chicken. He's got a full beard and a receding hairline in seventh grade. And, and now everything. So, so maturity and growing up is, is not easy. It's awkward and it's difficult and, and, and everybody's moving at a different pace in the journey. And, and, and so I want you to know as, as strange as that is in the physical realm, it is equally as strange in the spiritual realm. Growing up as a Christian, maturing and, and letting God develop our soul, it, it's awkward and it's difficult and sometimes it's strange. And, and so, but in the end, here, it, this should be our new mantra for Christianity. In the end, life is better without a diaper. Would you agree with that? Life is better without a diaper. I mean, I know there's times when you're driving down the road and you're like, I wish I had a diaper on, okay? But for the most part, life is better without a diaper, right? And it's true in our Christian journey. Life is better when we experience God in a more mature way. You see, what God does for us, through us, and reveals to us as a baby is entirely different, entirely different 
from what he wants to reveal to us and uh, accomplish through us as we mature in our Christian faith. Now, if you're here today and you would own the fact that if you were extremely honest today, you probably should be further along in your maturity process in Christianity. Just say amen. All right, it's true. All of us could be further along because there's always a, a discipline that probably that we overlook or we miss along the way. So most people, they just get stuck. They get, they get saved. The parents take them to church. A friend invites them to church. They go to a revival. They go to a camp. They meet Jesus. They have this encounter. They realize their lost condition. They receive Christ to be saved. <clears throat> and they just kind of get flat. And, and, and so they look up, you know, 20 years from now, and they're really not that far along in their journey with Jesus. And, and so what do, we, and it's wrong. I, I just want you to know, if you're not a better follower of Jesus, a better disciple, a better example of Jesus Christ in your circle today than you were a month ago, you're falling short and failing miserably at God's expectation of the grace gift that he poured into your life. Okay, it's true for me, it's true for every single one of you. God, when he saved you, he saved you for more. Man, that's good. I, I didn't say that. Early. When he saved you, he saved you for more. He wants to make you more. He wants to use you more. He wants to deploy you more. He wants to accomplish great more things through you. When he saved you, he saved you for more. So we've got to develop. We've got to mature. It's not an opinion. Listen to what scripture says. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So then if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What is old passed away. Look what is new has come. You see, there's people who get saved, but then they, 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 they just keep the stuff in the old life. You remember one of the, one of the characteristics of a testimony is that you've got, how is your life different? Your life should be different after you met Jesus. And so some people, they meet Jesus, they, they accept his gospel plan, they're born again, but they drag their old self, their old body, they just drag him around with them. And, and, and that's not what scripture says. He says, behold, you are a new creation. All old things are passed away. All old things. We gotta cut some strings. We gotta let some things go to become who it is that God wants us to be. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says this. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became an adult, I set aside childish ways. Some of us may have been a Christian for 25 or 30 years, and, and we're still talking and acting just like we did the moment we got saved. We haven't matured at all. And it's disappointing. And it's, it, it, it's, it's an assault on the grace of Jesus Christ in our life. Hebrews 5 says this, for though you should be in in fact, be teachers by this time. Did you know that? Some of you all, we've got groups in our church where we've got a bunch of great spiritually mature people all having a holy huddle. Some of those groups need to bust up. And there's some of y'all not in a group yet, but you know the word of God. You've been in a group in the past. You need to start a group. You need to be the one teaching other people because you know the word of God. You're interested in the word of God and you need to be sharing the word of God. And yet it says here, for though you should be in fact teachers by this time, some of y'all need to hear that. You should be teachers by this time. Y'all ought to be teachers. So I'll throw that in there. You need someone though to teach you from the beginning elements of God's utterances. You've gone back to needing milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced in the message of righteousness because he is an infant. 
But solid food is for the mature, for those whose perceptions are trained by practice to discern both good and evil. It's like in the physical realm. I mean, you, you've got to agree as a, as a mature person, steak and chicken is light years better than peaches and green beans pulverized in the same jar. If you're still eating that, we need to wake you up and take you to dinner right? And so it's the same in our spiritual life. Sometimes we get addicted to baby food. Meanwhile, there's, there's meat and potatoes just waiting for us to grow up and to grow some teeth so we can enjoy the greatness of what God has in store for us. And so God's desire, as I said, is for you to impact the world. So here's the thing. How, how does somebody move from being, fr from the making of a testimony to the making of a world changer? That's a big step. It's a big step for somebody to move from the making, just having a testimony to becoming a world changer. There's a lot of people in here who have a testimony. But how many people in here are world changers, impacting heaven, hell, and earth with your Christian life? I mean, it, that's what God wants for us, and that's what God will empower us to do. And it will be so much better than apathy and, and just miserable, covert Christianity. And so the title of the message is this, The Making of a World Changer, okay? Now, when we read Acts chapter 9, we're introduced to Saul of Tarsus. We talked about him last week. We see some of the key elements of the launch pad in the making of a testimony to prepare anybody to be a world changer. It includes prayer, verse 10 through 12. It includes the Holy Spirit being received, verse 17. It includes following Jesus in baptism, verse 18. It includes uh, several days spent with disciples to, be, to learn and, and, and to, to, uh, to develop, verse 19. And then he started preaching immediately. Ephesians 4 says this about my job. Okay, I, want you, I want you to hear my job, and then I want, to, want you to hear what your ultimate job is. You ready? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he himself gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors. There I am. And teachers. There I am. To equip. This is my job. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To equip you. If you're a Christian, my job is to equip you for the work of the ministry. That is to build up the body of Christ. Did you know to impact the world, to impact heaven, hell, and earth. My job is to equip you, the saints, to impact the world. I love, I love defining our roles. I love knowing my job, my expectation. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not supposed to be engaged in impacting heaven, hell, and the earth, but my primary responsibility is to help you and train you and equip you and challenge you and show you in God's world, that God's word, that God has a world out there that he wants to radically change through you. I, I'm excited about you. I, I know my job, and I'm excited about my job. You probably hear it every week. Okay, I'm excited. I show up excited. I get excited. I share my message two, three times during the week because I'm excited. But I'm excited about you because I truly believe that God wants you to be a world changer. I truly believe God wants more, not from you, but for you. I believe God wants to empower and develop and deploy you to accomplish things for his kingdom that you have not even seen yet. And it doesn't matter how young you are or how old you might be, God is always wanting to use you for more. And it's, 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 I'm excited about that because I'm getting older and, and it's, it's not over yet. I like that. Uh, he's still at work in me, and he's still at work in and for you. So 
the making of a, of a world changer. What's first? I want to give you some hints, some things that you, could impl- that you could apply to your life to help you become a world changer. Are you ready? Number one, never wait to go public. Never wait to go public. Listen what happens in the life of Saul slash Paul, verse 20 of, of Acts chapter 9. It says, for several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues. And he said, this man is the Son of God. He's talking about Jesus. It says, now all who heard him were amazed, and they were saying, uh, is this not the man who was in Jerusalem ravaging those who call on his name and who had come here to bring them as prisoners to the chief priest? But Saul became more and more capable and was causing consternation among the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Never wait to go public. If you're a Christian, let everybody know. Let everybody know. Students, let your school know. Adults, let your workplace know. Let your team know. Let your neighborhood know. Everybody should not have to wonder, well, that guy, that girl, I think they're just, they're a pretty good person. You know, oh, Jim, oh, he's a nice guy. No, he's a Christian. Let everybody know the reason they think you're a nice guy is because you act like Jesus, who was the nicest guy who ever walked on the planet, okay? And, And so we've got to go public and we need to yield to him not just for salvation but as lord of our life he needs to be the dictator of our actions now in this passage in the greek when it says that that paul proclaimed the gospel who jesus was the the greek word is cariso it means to publish or to herald to openly announce and to go public ever if you're a christian Everybody ought to know it. And it's not a, a tattoo with some Greek letters. I mean, there ain't nothing wrong with that. It's not a sticker on the back of your window. You know, it's not a T-shirt. I mean, nothing wrong with all that. That's that. That can proclaim it. But it ought to be in your words and your actions. You ought to be the best student. You ought to be the best team member. You ought to be the best employee. You ought to be the best neighbor because you are a Christian. We ought to be the best citizens of our world because we are Christians. But we're not good citizens, good neighbors, good teammates, and good students only. We proclaim, we, we, we boldly talk about Jesus Christ. And so the sooner we do that, the sooner we go, oh yeah, the sooner we go public with our faith, the sooner we will win spiritual battles. The sooner we go public with our faith, the sooner we will win spiritual battles. I want you to know today that short of knowing you're going to hell when you die, the second worst place to live is a defeated, apathetic, marginalized uh, Christianity, a Christianity where we allow the world who have no convictions to determine what convictions we're going to live under. That's terrible. And listen, if you're students, I know you walk in a little bit, but I want to warn you, the temptations of the world and, and all the compromising opportunities, they don't go away when you get older. When you get out of high school, they don't go away. Adults, if you are still bombarded with opportunities to be ungodly, say yes. It never goes away. It never goes away. So the sooner we drive a stake in the sand, the sooner we tether ourselves to the, to the Lord as our master, the sooner we live victorious Christian lives. I remember going to sales meeting and man, everybody was, was drinking. I've shared this story and they'd all get drunk. We'd play golf all day and I would take their money. And you say, you gambled? Should a pastor gamble? Well, it's not gambling if you know you're gonna win. I mean, it's an investment. And, and so yes, I took their money and, and so at night, they would want me to take them to the strip clubs because I was the only one sober. And I remember in my room saying, God, what am I supposed to do? He said, take them. 
we don't want them on the road. They're going to go anyway. Just don't go in. I said, okay. So I loaded them all up, took them to the strip club. They all went in. They're, oh, come on. Yeah. I said, I'm not going in that place. Okay, I'm a grown man. I'm, I'm telling you, it never goes away. Come on, you got to go in there with us. I'm not going in there with you. I don't go in this place. Why are you not you're too good to go in there with us? I'm not too good to go anywhere. But I have a wife at home. I have two daughters at home. I'm a deacon in my church. I teach Sunday school. I lead students. <clears throat> I just don't want to go in that place. You know, and I said it you know, not too long ago. You know, if I, if I want to see a naked woman, I, I, I got one at home. You know, it's a, I mean, she doesn't run around naked all the time. But, and that's good, Okay. <laughs> But I'm married. That, you know, it's one of, the, one, of the, one of the perks of being married, you know. And so I, I, I didn't want I I, I to let any of those down. I didn't want to. So, so, no, I don't do that. I remember going to sales meeting, you know, and they passed around the glasses and we had accomplished. And I was, I'd accomplished. I'd sold more of their stuff than anybody else. And they're wanting to turn up drinks, and I don't drink, you know. And I encourage you not to drink. I don't care to tell you that. But, you know, they're saying, I come on, and I just turn my glass over. No, I don't. I, and this is how I said, I don't, I don't want any of that. I, I don't need it. You know. Now, meanwhile, I sold more of their stuff, and here he goes. You know, oh, God, he got religion. And I just heard enough. I said, no, I don't have religion. I said, I sold more of your equipment than anybody in this sales meeting, okay, and I don't drink. You ought to tell everybody else not to drink so they can sell more stuff like me, you know. There comes in a place in your life when your convictions overrun your decisions, in other words, you your decisions are made based on your convictions. There's no wrestling match or a, a boxing match to see who's going to win. You know your convictions. You stick to them regardless of the consequences. And I want you to know God will protect you in those. Students, I want you to know, you live for Jesus. You make decisions for Jesus. He got your back. He'll take you places you've never been. Those other people who, who have no convictions, it'll, they'll pay the price one day. And we look up as adults, and we know that is absolutely true. Now, why is it so important that, that, we, that we go public early? Because the sooner we go public and the, so, the sooner we act like we're supposed to act, the sooner people have an expectation of us that's accurate. You see, if we conform along the way and compromise our convictions real quick, man, the world will establish a precedent for you. You see, if you, if you do it one time, that means you're inclined to do it again. And so we have to go public. It's like a wedding ring. I, I, I marry, I don't know, four, five, six couples a year, I guess, and, and I do pre-marriage counseling. And, I, and I, I tell them, you need to wear your ring. Men, you need to wear your ring. Well, if I go working out, it hurts my finger. Well, get one of those rubbery ones. you got to wear a ring. And women, you need to wear your ring. Now, why do I tell them that? Does it make them more married? No, it does not. But it, it makes a statement to the world that I am taken. And that's what happens when we go public, when we share our testimony with the world. It says, hey, I am taken. I have been bought with a price, the price of, of Jesus who is God, nailed to a cross at Calvary. I am not my own. It, it's, it's, since it makes a statement to God that I'm with you. It makes a statement to the enemy I'm not with you. It makes a statement to the world. There's a better life. And it makes a statement to our soul that says, I'm still walking with Jesus. And so we've got to learn to come to be bold in our testimony and to live for Jesus, never waiting to go public. I got saved when I was nine years old. You know that. And it's a Friday night of the five-night revival. And he preached to me every night. I just didn't do anything with it. And on Friday night, I, Holy Spirit of God invited me to the family, man. I walked my little old self down there. I said, I don't know much, but I know that Jesus wants me to be saved. The preacher led me through a prayer on Sunday night. I got baptized, went to school in fourth grade on Monday. My teacher's name was Miss Higdon. I love me some Miss Higdon, man. 
because I, I had some special learning needs, and she knew it. She got it. She loved me special, and I loved her. I went to her. I said, Miss Higdon, are you a Christian? And she told me this later in life, and I said, I said she said, I am a Christian. Why do you ask? And I said, because I got saved on Friday. I'm going to heaven when I die, and I want you to go too. I told my little old friends, man, I was in the game. I was saved. Now, I got stupid real fast because that's what happens sometimes. You know, you just grow up and you play, make bad decisions. But, but I, never, I never turned my back on Jesus. If I did wrong, I was convicted of it. If I did right, I was blessed for it. And I knew it, even as a little kid. But, but, but I, I want you to know we've got to go public early. And, and so, so in our life, we've got to get to a place where we just tell the world, I don't do that stuff. And they say, you did do that stuff. Yes, I did. I was stupid for it. And you're stupid for it now. I'm saved now. I don't do that anymore. Okay? Conviction. Start just clearing it up. Just tell people, you know what? I just don't do that anymore. I know I used to do it. I was confused. Just tell them you were confused. But it's a new day. I'm not going to do that anymore. Never wait to go public with faith. Number two, never be surprised by other people. Never be surprised by people. Uh, it says in verse 23, it says, Now after some days had passed, the Jews plotted together to kill him. The Jews, he is a Jew. He's the chief Jew. He's a part of the Sanhedrin, educated by Gamaliel, the best teacher in the world, raised in, a, in, in, in an academic city. This guy is a Jewish uh, poster child. I mean, he is a Jew, but it says the Jews plotted to kill him. But Saul learned that their plot against him, and they were also watching the city gates day and night so that they could kill him. Listen, misery, my mom used to tell me this, misery loves company you got some high school students middle school students they're wanting to smoke dope or they're wanting to drink and they want you to do it too you know why because misery loves company that's why the devil loves company that's why he's in he's in a 24 7 onslaught against the lord's church and against the world trying to keep those he has captive captive and trying to destroy the testimony and the walk with jesus of those who are saved he, he, misery loves company. And so these Jews, they didn't have the joy now that Jesus had, the awakening that Jesus had. Uh, Paul's trying to share it with them, but they didn't want to hear it. They weren't ready for it yet. And so they hated him. Don't be surprised by people. Uh, Paul was once the most significant, most educated, most scholarly Jew there was. And now they hated him and they were plotting to kill him. Now, let me pause right here. Here's something a lot, a lot of people don't know. Um, when Paul left Jerusalem to go to Damascus, and he's on his way 140 miles, about six days walking, and on the way he meets Jesus, and he's blinded, and then he makes it to Damascus, and Ananias takes him in, and, and then he gets saved. His scales fall from his eyes while he's praying, and, 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 and the Holy Spirit comes into his life, and he wakes up, and he's, man, I, I need to be baptized. He's baptized. I mean, this, complete conversion, Right? But what a lot of people miss is they say, man, I, my life's not like Paul, man. Paul got saved. Next thing you know, he's traveling all over Asia, uh, 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 birthing churches and writing, you know, 13 books in the New Testament. Pause. Not true. Paul is just another guy. He's just like you, just like me. The moment you're saved, you're not ready to accomplish everything God has in your life. God wants to season you and develop you before he ever deploys you. Now, does it mean he can't start right where he is? Oh, yeah, he starts right there. He's preaching. He's sharing the gospel. But God's not finished with him. God is using him right here in just a superficial, uh, 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 shallow way compared to the way he's going to use Paul when he gets him developed. 
I want you to understand something. If when you got saved, and maybe you're a baby Christian, maybe you maybe you've been wearing spiritual pampers for 25 years. Listen, God, God can't use you the way He wants to use you until He develops you. And the only way He will develop you and can develop you is if you're willing to receive it. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. And, and so, so what happened? Well, Galatians 1, Paul writes this letter, this epistle. And he tells more narrative about the, about the chronology of his transformation, okay? Listen to what he says. There's going to be a pause in his life. It says, I want you to know, this is Paul writing. He says, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. For I did not receive it or learn it from any human source. Instead, I received it by revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says, I got this from the source, right? I mean, I got this from Jesus himself. Now listen to what he says. For you have heard of my former way in life of Judaism, how I was savagely persecuting the church of God and trying to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my nation and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when the one... Jesus Christ, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. Listen, I did not go to ask advice from any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before me. But right away, I departed to Arabia and then returned to Damascus. Verse 18, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and get information from him. I stayed with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I assure you that before God, I'm not lying about what I am writing to you. His journey is underway. But what a lot of people don't understand is that right after he's born again, he leaves Damascus. And he goes out for a desert experience for three years. He goes to the Arabian desert and gets discipled by Jesus. He's just out there praying, trying to sort through his old religion, which was, which was really deep and really thorough. And now he's putting the pieces together that all of it pointed to the person of Jesus Christ. Here's my question. How many of you all, when you got saved, first thing you did, went out into the desert for three years? I mean, ages nine through 12, I'd have been out in the desert. Okay, I would have starved to death or been eaten by a wolf. That's what would have happened. Okay, not Paul. But here's what I want you to understand. He's, he's on a journey. And it, sometimes we think, wow, for Paul, bam. And he's, oh, man, he's, he's writing epistles. No, he's just like us. He has to be discipled. He has to be matured. He has to develop. And so he, so he goes into the journey. He spends three years, and then he comes back to Damascus. And then ultimately, he's going to make his way da- back down to Jerusalem. So Don't be surprised at other people when they reject you. In fact, listen to me. It doesn't matter if you're a student or adult. If you want to know and discern who the real Christians are, you start acting like a really good one and see who sticks around. That's that's it. You want to know who are really in the game for Jesus. You start acting like a really good Christian And you see who sticks around and you see who walks away. Because if you're doing it right, they'll fall under conviction. Some of them will. Now, I don't want to be around that person anymore. And and don't get your feelings hurt and say, well, I lost a friend. You'll get another one, a good one. Okay, Jesus has your back. John 8, 44 
Jesus said there's two kinds of people in this world. People who are children of God and people who are children of the devil. Children who are on the broad way to destruction and people who are on the narrow way to righteousness. Are you ready? He said in John 8, you people are from your father, the devil, and you want to do what your father desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not uphold the truth because there is no truth in him. Now, let me clear this up. Maybe if some of your friends walk, walk away from you because you're more committed to Jesus than you were before, it doesn't necessarily mean they're lost. It just means they're not on the same journey you're on. Okay, so you hold your head up and you move forward. Listen, listen to me, because what, those, what that circle of friends has for you has nothing in relation to what God has in store for you on the other side as you grow. Don't you let some friends who offer you nothing, okay, hold you back from receiving the greatness that God has in your life as a mature Christian. So never wait to go public. Never be surprised by people. Number three, never be too proud for help. Never be too proud for help. We're in this thing together. Listen to what happens in Paul's life, verse 25. But his disciples took him at night, his disciples, three years and a few days, and he's got some followers. Some of us have been Christians 25 years. We've never led one person to Jesus Christ, okay? You're not living up to God's expectation for your life. It's just the truth. Well, I'm, I'm an introvert. I don't like doing that. I don't care. Write them a letter, Okay? Take them to somebody who's an extrovert and tell them to tell them. I want you to meet a friend of mine. Sick them, okay? But you need to be involved in the process, okay? So, so he says, but his disciples took him at night, let him down through the opening in the wall by lowering him in a basket. His circle, his posse, his small group, man, they're right there with him. Bro, they're going to try to kill you. Don't worry about it, man. we got a plan. Now, history says in those days there would be a wall in Damascus. It was this fortified city. had a wall around it. Or in Jerusalem, had a wall around it. And, and many of the homes then would take the, the wall of the, the exterior wall of the city, and they would go up on the wall, build a, a floor system, put walls, and the, the wall of the city would serve as the exterior wall of their home. And so it had a window that went outside the wall outside the city. And so they had baskets that rather than carrying all their stuff up and down a ladder, they would bring food and supplies up and down in this basket. So they said, Paul, they're trying to kill you, bro. We got a wall, we got a window that goes out the outside wall. So tonight, we're putting you in a basket, bro, and we're letting you down. And so consider this. Paul came to Damascus uh, with blinders on. Paul went out of Damascus in a borrowed basket. Paul could not see anything coming in. Paul could not be seen going out. Everything's changing in this guy's life. And I want you to know, in your life, Jesus wants things to change. He wants things to be different tomorrow than they were last week. And so... Number four, never allow others to define you. This is a good one. A student's really good for you. When you, when you make a, a statement for Jesus and you begin to walk uh, more for Jesus, there's people going to remind you of your past. And let me just tell you, never go away. I'll give you an example. I did a stupid thing when I was in college. I did a lot of stupid things my whole life. But here's just one isolated one. And uh, it was stupid. I shouldn't have done it. And uh, that was in 1982. That's when it was. I was a sophomore at Tennessee Tech. I did a stupid thing. I'm going to tell you what it was. You can just wonder. Let your imaginations run wild, okay? Based on what I said about Kendra running around naked, maybe I streaked across the campus. I didn't, but I could have, okay? So, so 1982, I did a stupid thing. I did a funeral six months ago, and a, a man who's now my age, he's actually two years older than me, he was at the funeral. You know what the first thing is? I'm preaching the funeral. You know what he said at the funeral? You remember when you did that? 
had I not been in the funeral and had to preach it, I might have punched him in the neck. But I didn't. But I didn't. I just said, yeah, I was stupid. And that's your answer. Don't you ever let somebody define you. You make mistakes in your life? Sure you did. All those adults sitting behind you, they made a whole bunch because they've been around longer. We all make mistakes. Don't you let your mistakes define you? Don't you let other people bring them up? Let that define you. The Lord Jesus defines you. God defines you when he looks through the lens of the finished work of Jesus Christ smathered on your life. And, it, and when he defines you, it's a good definition. Amen? Now, never allow, allows others to define you. Here's what happens in verse 26. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he attempted to associate with the disciples. So he left Damascus. He's coming down to Jerusalem, and, and, and he gets down there, and he wants to associate with, with, the, with the Pope, where the church started. Man, he's excited because now I'm part of the team. And they were all afraid of him. Yikes. Because they did not believe that he was a disciple. They defined him based on his previous life. Listen, it says, But Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the apostles and related to them how he had seen the Lord on the road that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. So he was staying with them, associating openly with them in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. He was speaking and debating with the Greek-speaking Jews, but they were trying to kill him. Don't you let, never let people define you based on your past. Now they had good reasons to package Paul in an old package because Paul had been the one responsible for the murdering of one of their favorites, a guy named Stephen, who just because he preached the gospel without a trial, they rocked him to death while Saul, at the time, stood there and supported the stoning. They, he, he was responsible for killing one of their own. You just don't forgive and forget that stuff. And so they packaged him in his old life. And I want you to know sometimes people want to define us based on the mistakes of our past. Don't let the world define you based on your failures. You let the God of the universe define you based on what Jesus has done in your life. Paul had a reputation. This rogue Jew now had supposedly made this profession of faith and he was given a testimony and, and then he disappeared for three years. Who even knows what happens there? How do we know he's not gonna come in here and set us up for failure, kind of infiltrate the church and then bring Rome in and annihilate us? We don't trust this guy. And so I want you to know, never let people define you and you allow God, he'll send somebody to affirm the new you. And that's what he does for Paul. Barnabas, who is the, the word means son of encouragement, you'll remember earlier in Acts, he supported the church with a huge financial gift to launch the church. And now he comes, comes alongside Paul and he says, listen, he's legit. He's the real deal. This is what happened. I'll tell you his testimony and you need to embrace him and bring him into the fold. So when somebody tries to define you, shake it off, hold your head up, just keep moving because God's in the process of writing your story. And don't let the world write your story. You see, as a Christian, sometimes the world wants to condemn us. What does it mean to condemn? It means to, to, to give charge against you. There's a beautiful passage everybody should memorize. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now. Everybody say now. Now is upon salvation. There is therefore now. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to know that. If you're saved, you're no longer condemned. You made a mistake yesterday. You commit a sin today. You make a mistake today. There's no condemnation for you. Your condemnation was nailed to the cross of Calvary in the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. From God's perspective, no condemnation for you. That's good news. And so don't let the world 
defines you. Define you. You just press on. Now it says it says that he took uh, Barnabas took Paul to the apostles. But over in Galatians, it says that, that Paul says himself, I only saw Cephas, which is Peter, and then I saw the uh, James, the half brother of Jesus, who wasn't an apostle. And, and so it says now he came to the apostles. Well, Peter is like the president of the club. Okay, Peter's the chief of the apostles, right? He's the spokesman. So apparently Barnabas just went straight to the bigs. He went straight to Peter. He said, Peter, I know you've got a busy schedule. I know you're large and in charge. I want you to meet this guy right here. Don't let the world define you. you God will send people to help clarify who you really are. It also says in Galatians 1.18 that he stayed there for 15 days. So now... Consider this. Here's this guy. We, when we read the Bible, we think, man, that amazing guy, Saul, rode to Damascus experience. He comes out of that experience. He, scales fall off of his eyes. He's, he, he gets the Holy Spirit. He's baptized. He's preaching. And then he goes and starts churches, and he's writing letters. And he, he wrote 13 of the New Testament books. Man, just bam, just like that. It all happened. Not true at all. Not true at all. He had to go through it. He had to go through it just like you and I have to go through it. He was rejected. Here he is in Jerusalem where the church started. The Jews hate him because he's, a, because he's converted, because he's a defector. And the Christians hate him because he killed somebody that they loved. He got nobody but Barnabas. And sometimes I want you to know the Christian journey feels alone. It just feels alone. You're not alone because Jesus is always with you but it feels alone. And so, let's keep moving. Number five, never get too comfortable. There's a whole lot of Christians who are very comfortable where they are. How, why are they comfortable? Because they've been hanging out there for a long time. They know all of the terrain around them. They know the things that they have to watch for. Uh, they know what to expect. They've developed a comfort system where everything is easy to be a Christian in their little world. That's not, that's not what Jesus saved us for. Never get too comfortable. It says now in verse 30, when the brothers found out about this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. What is this all about? So now some of the disciples in the early church are, 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 have listened to Barnabas, and they said, you know what? He is the real deal. We need to embrace him. He is born again. His past is his past. We're accepting him for his new life <clears throat> in Jesus Christ. And so meanwhile, the Jews are plotting to kill him. So they said, we're not going to let them kill you. So they take him down to Caesarea, which is a port city. It's on the sea. They put him on a boat, and they send him to Tarsus. Pause. Listen to me. So here's this dynamic, converted, convert, Christian, preacher, ultimate writer of much of the New Testament. He's gone from Jerusalem to Damascus to Arabia to Damascus to Jerusalem, and now they're sending him to Tarsus. You remember where he started? His name was Saul of Tarsus. They're sending him home. It's like he's getting benched. In fact, the next two chapters of the Bible, he's not mentioned. We're going to talk about Peter next week. Do you know how many years go by between chapter 9 and chapter 12 when, when Saul gets back in the game? Ten years. He went home not to visit his mama and say, hey, I got to tell you what happened to me. He went home to be discipled. He went home to preach and develop this newly converted faith that he has, and it would take 10 years. We fail to think about that sometimes. We think everything is supposed to happen so suddenly, but it'll be 10 years before Paul will emerge as an evangelist, a missionary, 
and the preacher that God wants him to be. Number six, never forget God's timing. Never forget God's timing in your life. This is good news. It doesn't matter if you're 95 years old or nine and a half years old. Never forget God's timing. Now, this is beautiful. God is outside of the time continuum. He doesn't have seconds and minutes in heaven. He doesn't have an alarm clock. He is an eternal God, eternal past, eternal future. He's not in a, in a hurry. That's why sometimes when it seems like, I just, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. It seems like so long. God's left me here. God's eternal. It hadn't been no time at all for him. We operate in seconds, hours, and years. So we have a sense of urgency because we only have one life. But God doesn't get in a hurry. Listen to what it says in verse 31. He ships, literally, Paul up the coast to Tarsus for 10 years. What's happening in the church? I mean, this is the guy that's going to set the, the church into its global expansion. Verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria experienced peace, and thus they were strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, the church increased in numbers. So good. Sometimes when we feel like when we feel like we're, we're not where God wants us to be, we're not, he's given us a vision of maybe something that he has for us and we're just not there yet, he's still at work behind the scenes. And he's still accomplishing what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, that I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Listen, God's building his church. He's always doing that. And while he's doing that, He's preparing you to be engaged in what he's already doing. You, you, you see, Paul had to become everything that God wanted him to be so God could use him to accomplish everything he wanted him to do. It, it, it's not about doing before it's about being. You, you don't do Christianity until you be Christianity. Being comes before doing. And sometimes God, it's difficult for God to get us to be who we're supposed to be so we can do what we're supposed to do. And it's like a, a if you want to make grape juice or grape wine, you have to take a beautifully plump grape and you have to smash it, just literally pulverize it to get the juice out. If you want to make bread, you have to take grain and crush it into fine, fine flour to make bread. If, if you want to make a diamond, you have to take carbon, base carbon, expose it to tremendous pressure and tremendous heat over long periods of time, which presses and cooks out all of the impurities and out emerges a diamond what is called the edemus, which is, which is unconquerable. It's the strongest substance known on the earth is a diamond. And it's, it's, it's just carbon in its purest form. A.W. Tozer says, it's doubtful that a man has ever been used greatly of God until he's been wounded deeply by God. God has to kind of crush us and break us. I, I'm telling you, life as a Christian is wonderful. 
but it's not always easy. I've had stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm on an artificial knee right now. I've had back, and hip issues. I mean, neck. I, I've been through it, okay? And it's all in the process of God developing me and making me everything that he wants me to be. Listen, when we read the Bible, we read about people like Moses. Moses was educated in Egypt for 40 years only so he could be sent out into the desert for 40 years to be educated by God on how to be a shepherd. He didn't even get to lead the people out of Israel till he's 80. His game didn't even start until he was 80. That's good news for some of us. Okay? When we keep reading the Bible, we find out about John the Baptist. John the Baptist went out into the wilderness until the revelation or the manifestation of Jesus. He had to get ready to be the forerunner of Jesus. Jesus lived as a devout Jew, the son of a carpenter, for 30 years before he got to do ministry for three short years. And so I was thinking about that. And I thought about my life. And here's what my life was. I was saved at nine. Graduated high school, went to Tennessee Tech at age 18. Married a beautiful good Christian woman at age 22 found a wonderful church like this one Bible believing church got got engaged in it became a teacher to 7th grade boys the worst possible class on the planet all of them were going to hell you know I was on a rescue mission and so ordained as a deacon in that large church went, went learned how to be an evangelist how to share the gospel going out on visitation on Tuesday night okay left that Sold foundry supplies. Excuse me, ran a foundry during those years from ages 22 to 29. Taught Sunday school, left that job. Went to Birmingham, sold foundry supplies and built houses. Taught Sunday school, served as a deacon. Became a youth pastor, uh, bivocational during those years. Drove about 60 to 100,000 miles a year behind the steering wheel of a car selling products in the southeast. Listening to cassette after cassette after cassette by preachers from great preachers from around this country built houses and became a student pastor bivocational second baptist church in clinton between ages 40 and 45 full-time minister as associate pastor starting in 19 excuse me in 2008 from ages 45 to 51 they shipped me over here I got a master's degree from Dallas Theological Seminary. I went to Liberty University, did my core studies for my doctorate program. Got transferred then to here for this revitalization 10 years ago next uh, month uh, in April, okay? Finished my doctoral thesis at Carolina University. And I'm here to tell you, I did not graduate from any of those schools, magna cum laude, but I graduated, thank the laude, and I... And I am here today, this is the diamond that God has created out of my life. I'm here to tell you, I am not a cubic zirconia, okay? I am one of those diamonds when you put the glass to it, it's still got some old specks in there. Maybe a little, a little uh, a, 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 a crack in it. Maybe some yellow streaks in it because he's not finished with me yet. He's still developing. He's still putting the pressure. He's still putting the squeeze. He's still turning up the temperature from time to time. But I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't change one ounce of it. I, I never saw this coming. And I'm here to tell you that you cannot possibly see what God has written in his eternal timeline for your future. And you won't ever experience it if you don't get out of the comfort zone and leave that baby stuff behind and begin to move forward in your faith. And you don't have to do it alone. We can do it together. And God will make a world changer out of you just like he did the Apostle Paul because he's the same God through all the ages. And he's the same God for all the ages, meaning you start 
right where you are. And so the making of a world changer is already in place. The tools are already there. Jesus is already there. The Holy Spirit to empower it is already there. He's just waiting on you to say, I want to be that. I don't want apathetic, miserable, lukewarm, covert Christianity anymore. I want to be out of the box. I want to be a world changer. I want to change hell. I want to change heaven. I want to change this earth. Listen to me. You don't want it anymore than God wants it for your life. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to know today, to be a world changer, it must begin with a testimony. If you're here today, and you can honestly say, I don't have that testimony. I cannot say today, there was a moment in my, t- in my life where there was a BC before Christ, where I had an encounter with Jesus, and my life has changed because of it. That could be today. How does that happen? The Holy Spirit has to invite you. You don't listen to the preacher, but if the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart of that, I want to encourage and challenge you to receive that. Just say, Holy Spirit, I'm listening. I got the antenna up. I feel your invitation. And so, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to confess that I'm a sinner, and I'm bad need of somebody to rescue me. I'm going to repent of my sin, and I'm going to receive Jesus Christ and his finished work in my life today. I'm going to get up out of my seat today forever changed with a testimony that I had an encounter with the resurrected King of glory, Jesus Christ. And then you just thank him, God, thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. And then you begin to take your next steps. You schedule to be baptized in water. You begin to surround yourself with a group of people to help you develop and be discipled as a Christian. There's many of us who have already done that today. The challenge for you today is to grow up. Go to a new level in your journey with Jesus. This life is not just about you. This life is about how God wants to use you to impact other people like you. This altar will be open. I would encourage you, you can come and pray. Make a statement. Let's get bold and radical in our belief of Jesus. He was bold and radical when he stretched his arms out on that cross for us 2,000 years ago. And he'll be bold and radical for us when he stands before God the Father and says, yep, that one's mine. And we enter the glory of heaven. Father, we just thank you so much for the life of Saul and Paul, that you told us the good, the bad, and the ugly. You give us the whole counsel. We can watch his life develop. And God, we just thank you that as we read the rest of the Bible, we realize it's not just for him. It's extended to all of us. So God, it's my prayer today that if there's someone here, and I'm certain there is, that don't know you in a real and personal way, that this would be their day of salvation. This would be their day of collision with Jesus for salvation, and that they would be saved, and that the journey would be launched. And God, for the rest of us, help us grow up. Help us know what you want for us moving forward. We give you praise for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.